All right, so we are in the middle of this um, values refresh. We have three values. We can try to keep it simple here at Bethel. Three values. Everybody knows it right by now. You're, 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 you're repeating this in your sleep by now, right? Gospel, community, and mission. So this morning, we're going to hit on the last one, mission, okay? So let's just start with a couple questions here. We should probably ask, what is the mission? That's important. <laughs> kind of hard to go on mission if you don't know where you're going or what it is. Um, so what's the mission? How do we live it out? How do we go on mission? And how can be two different ways, and we're actually going to address both. How in the sense of manner, like what manner do we go about this work, this mission, and then also the, the empowerment? How? I need some help. So how in manner, how in empowerment, and then why? Why this mission? So let me just briefly hit the what is the mission in the introduction here, and then the first two questions of our outline, the two texts in Romans that we're going to look at are going to answer the other two questions, the how and the why, okay? So what's the mission? You know that, you know who the ultimate missionary is? Anybody? God. Our triune God is a missionary God. Think about it. All the way back in the garden, he's a God who moves toward us even when we're running away or trying to hide. He came down after Adam and Eve sinned. He came down in mercy. So yes, there were consequences. Yes, they got booted from the garden. But there's mercy and grace right there at the beginning. That, you know, the fig, fig leaves didn't do that good of a job covering them. And it certainly couldn't cover the exposure that they felt because of their sin. So there was an animal sacrificed in order to cover them with the skin, right? Which is a pointer to the one who would ultimately be sacrificed to cover our sin, to make atonement for our sin and fully cleanse us and cover us in the deepest sense. Forgive us and cleanse us and cover us. So ultimately, again, missionary God, he came down to us when the Father sent the Son. The Son willingly came, took on flesh and blood to live and die in our place. So Jesus, just like a good shepherd, came to seek and save us lost sheep. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. And he put the iniquity that is ours on Jesus. He died in our place. So he moved toward us in our need. He didn't turn away. He didn't give up on us. He came into the darkness, shining the light to call us out of the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. And he did that, not just full stop. Jesus came as the light of the world to draw us out of the darkness into his light and then to make us the light. Okay, so... Us being on mission starts with God being on mission, but God being on mission doesn't stop there. It continues with us being on mission. So in love, our missional God sent our missional Savior that we might become a missional people. 
So the gospel at the center, we talked about this in previous weeks, where we have three, we have three values, gospel, community, and mission, but the first one is primary because it actually creates the next two. The gospel is such a dynamic that we are drawn into communion and fellowship and intimacy and love with God further up and further in and also it draws us together as his people in unity and reconciliation and love but it also sends us out so the gospel also sends us out to draw other people in to the light to give them the hope and the the same good news that we have received so when the gospel's at the center it makes mission central to us okay so the great commission given by the Lord Jesus, make disciples of all nations. It's not optional, okay? That's not just for super Christians, you know, just, just for the apostles. It's for all disciples of Jesus Christ. So we actually have a section in our statement of faith. We're doing a membership class right now, and we were looking at the, doc, the, the statement of faith and constitution this morning. So there's a section called the mission at the end of our statement of faith, and here's some of what it says. Because again, we're answering the question, what is the mission? The task is to spread his gospel urgently, indiscriminately, like sow the seed generously and widely to everybody. Everybody needs it. And graciously, both near and far, to every tribe and tongue and people and nation, baptizing those who respond in faith, teaching them the words and ways of the Lord, and gathering them into churches able to fulfill their Christian calling among their own people. So you see gospel, community, mission, gospel, community, mission, gospel, community. You see how it just is this beautiful um, self-perpetuating cycle. The love of Christ compels his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, to carry out this ministry of reconciliation in the context of holistic and authentic neighbor love. Living as salt in a world that's decaying and light in a world that is dark, believers should neither withdraw into seclusion from the world nor become indistinguishable from it. So we are in the world for the world, in the world but not of the world. You catch that? Okay? So we don't withdraw, we engage, and we also, though we engage, don't we don't get conformed to this world. We considered this last week, right? We, don't, we shouldn't be indistinguishable. We're salt and light. So rather they are to do good to all, including their enemies, and always remember the poor. The church can confidently carry out this mission empowered by King Jesus, who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, and who promises to be with them to the very end of the age, which is right from the Great Commission, you know? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go make disciples, and surely I'll be with you even at the end of the age. So that's the summary of the mission. What is the mission? There we go. How now do we carry it out? And why do we need to? So those are the primary questions we're going to answer this morning, both in the context of Romans. So the whole value series this time, we usually do this about once a year. The whole series has been in Romans. Okay, so we're going to do that again this morning, and we're going to look at basically two passages in Romans, Romans 1 and Romans 10. So if you want to have your finger in Romans 1 as well as chapter 10, um, you'll be ready to go. We're going to start in Romans 1. So first, how? How do we carry this mission out? And like I said before, that's both manner and power. Like where's the strength come from and what's it supposed to look like? How are we supposed to do this? So point number one, 
Romans 1, and obligated, eager, and unashamed are kind of the words that capture this first point, all right? So if you're in Romans chapter 1, after mentioning in verse 13 that he's often wanted to come to Rome, Paul's writing this letter to Rome, he hasn't even been there yet, but he's often wanted to come to Rome in order to reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles because preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel is kind of like sowing seed, right? Just like the parable of the sowers. Sometimes you sow, sometimes you water. Somebody else has sown and you're watering the seed and then sometimes you're there for the harvest when someone comes to faith and there's fruit. So after he says that, then he says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Okay, that could sound a little harsh to our ears, barbarians. (laughs) Um, But in a world where the Greek language and culture was esteemed, this is Rome, those who didn't speak Greek or know the customs and culture would be looked down upon. Okay, so most likely, Paul is saying the same thing in two different ways. Greeks and barbarians, wise and foolish. But Paul is under obligation to all of them. The ground is level, you've probably heard it said, at the foot of the cross. Ethnic or cultural superiority is leveled. No superiority complexes at the foot of the cross. It's all done away with, with Christian, by, by Christian theology. So Paul says he's under obligation to everybody, Greeks and barbarians, wise and the foolish. So, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so gonna have to like look down here at the text. Let's think through the logic of the passage. Okay, so Paul says he's under obligation to all people, verse 14. And we, we should probably say that's primarily a function of his apostolic calling. Look back at Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then verse five, he's received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So, okay, this is an obligation primarily kind of a function of his apostolic calling. But that doesn't mean that there's not truth to this kind of application for us that we also, in a sense, should have a similar obligation. We'll get to that in just a minute. But what's the result of this? What, what difference does it make? So he's, he's got this obligation that he feels that, he, that he's under. Um, he doesn't just feel it, it's true as his calling, but as a result, he's eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Okay, they were, parts, they were part of the all kinds of people, right? So I'm obligated to everybody. You're part of the everybody. I want to preach to you. I'm eager. And why was he eager to preach the gospel to them? Look at the logic. Because he wasn't ashamed. He was eager because he wasn't ashamed. Well, why wasn't he ashamed? 
because the gospel is actually the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, no matter the ethnic background. Well, why is it the power of God? Well, because salvation is not climbing a ladder of righteousness to heaven. It's the righteousness of God come down to rescue and save us. It's a gift. It's only received by faith. There's no one righteous, chapter three of Romans. No, not one. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The ways of sin is death, but the gift come down. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anyone can repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. Coming to him with the empty hands of faith. The only thing we bring to the table is our sin. We give that to him. We receive righteousness, reconciliation. We are, you know, declared righteous in his sight because we are in Christ. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So let's just, so that's kind of the logic of the passage. Now let's zero in a little bit applicationally under these three key words in this section. Obligated, eager, unashamed. Okay? So obligated. So obviously we're not apostles. We don't have the same sort of divine calling on our lives as Paul did. I mean, Paul was the lead trailblazing apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations, right? But again, doesn't mean there's not a secondary sense in which this should be true for us, and we'll see that in a minute. So did you ever notice in Romans 13, 8, it says this, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, we are obligated to love our neighbor. So Paul was obligated, actually so are we. Think about the peril of the Good Samaritan. Can you pick and choose who you'll help based on their ethnicity or other you know, socioeconomic status or whatever. No. The whole point of that parable is, who's my neighbor? Well, whoever's in need in your path that God's put in your path. So love whatever needy neighbor God puts in your path. That is our obligation. And certainly Paul is living this out and calling us to do the same. So if your neighbor's house is on fire, and you know they're inside sleeping, are you obligated to do anything? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to offend them. I mean, I don't want to scare them, you know, by banging on the door. Anybody convicted? Okay, I'm convicted. Lord, help us. Sometimes, we can feel a sense of obligation and we kind of like stiff arm that because we need to get on with our, you know, all important lives and schedules. Lord, help us. So rather than like running from the sense of obligation, we need to stop humbly. You know, God gives grace to the humble. Okay, so we're convicted. Take heart. God gives grace to the humble. <laughs> Let's pray. Like, Lord, help me. There's houses on fire all around me. Obligation, obligated. Second word, eager. We, isn't it funny that we have to remind ourselves of this? This is like the best news in the world. 
the gospel is the best news in the world. We've got the best news in the world. Wouldn't it make sense that we'd be eager to share it? <laughs> and maybe there was a time in your life when you were eager to share it. And maybe you're even a little annoying with some of the people in your life. Because they couldn't shut you up. Because, you know, can't stop talking about how good Jesus is, what he's done in my life. But maybe now you're not as eager. So we should humble ourselves and say, have I lost my first love? Have I allowed other things to take primary place, push Jesus off to the periphery? Whatever it is, it's something to take aim at and ask the Lord to renew our hearts with the goodness of the good news and to give us an eagerness to share it. So again, these are like trite, right? Kind of, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that illustration before. But the question is, are we actually living this way? Like, if you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? No, you would be eager to share it, right? Would you be too weighed down and too busy to share it with, with anyone? <laughs> so again, I'm convicted. Lord, help us. And remember, take heart. God gives grace to the humble. So wherever we're convicted or challenged this morning, it's actually an opportunity to humble ourselves and say, oh, I need grace. You give grace to the humble. Help. I want to be a faithful witness. Last word, unashamed. Are you unashamed of the gospel? Am I? If so, great. That's awesome. <clears throat> give thanks to God. <laughs> it's his grace in your life. Okay? But if you're fearful of what people will think of you, if you fear the relational fallout, the potential relational fallout or the rejection of those whose opinions matter to you, if you've stayed silent when you should have spoken up, yeah, I'm convicted too. Okay. God gives grace to the humble. If you've caved or been less than honest when asked or you've just outright denied Jesus, then here, two thoughts. First, remember Peter. He denied Jesus three times. Do you remember what Jesus said? Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> You're going to deny me, Peter. And then what did Peter become? Well, you had your chance. I mean, three strikes and you're out, man. No, Peter became this bold apostolic witness. They couldn't shut him up. They beat him up, and he's rejoicing, going out like, woohoo, we, we were counted worthy to suffer for the name. But then, listen, he didn't just kind of automatically become perfectly bold for the rest of his life. Do you remember in Galatians? There were some... Gentiles, the Judaizers came in. You know, these people that said you have, to, you have to be circumcised to really be a faithful covenant keeper, you know? These Gentiles need to be more Jew-like if they're going to be faithful. Peter sh shrunk back from eating with Gentiles. Paul had to call him out. You're, you're living as a hypocrite to the gospel. He shrunk back out of fear. Isn't that encouraging? That the apostle Peter, not just 
denying Jesus three times, but again later on, like after he's a pillar of the church, the early church, did it again, and God still restored and used him. So again, if you've been ashamed, and I think probably at one time or another, we all have been, let's take aim at our shame. There's grace for past denials and shame. Again, if you repent, God gives grace to the humble. Don't you want to be unashamed? Do you think God is willing to help you become unashamed? Again, God gives grace to the humble. So, obligated, eager, unashamed. Now let's walk backwards through the logic of this section. I'm eager because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, for all, good news for all. Received by faith, not a result of ethnic background or religious performance or whatever. So that's down. Now let's look at it going the other direction. I said a minute ago that I was going to go backwards, and I went down again. So sorry about that. That was confusing. Okay, so now we're going to go back up through it, right? The gospel is good news. God's free grace offered to us through Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. So it is the power of God for salvation for all people. It's not a ladder to heaven. It's God coming down to us to rescue us. For everyone who believes, barbarian, wise, foolish, Greek, Jew, everybody. So because it's the power of God for salvation, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. No, I'm eager to preach it instead to all people. In fact, I'm obligated to all people because all have sinned and all are in need of the gospel and the gospel is not just good news for one ethnicity. It's for all tribes and languages and peoples and nations. So I think one of the applications, one of the primary applications we're going to come to in this message over and over again is prayer. Like bringing our need, bringing our failure and our need to the Lord. Help me grow in my sense of obligation and eagerness and kill my shame That's how, part of the how, as far as living out this mission, living with mission at the core of who we are as disciples of Jesus. So second point addresses the why. Why is the mission so central? And for this one, let's look at chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing, okay? So we'll begin in verse one. Rob read this passage um, I'll just make a few comments as we go along and we'll slow down when we get to verse 14 to 17. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, as Rob mentioned, the Jews, Paul was a Jew, and he's concerned about his own people who by and large had rejected the Messiah, Jesus as their Messiah. His heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but their zeal is not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. You see that? They're trying to climb the ladder to heaven. 
They're trying to seek, they're, they're trying to establish their own righteousness when God is offering them his righteousness in and through Christ. And as a result, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's a gift that you receive by faith. For Moses, Old Covenant writes about in Deuteronomy the righteousness that's based on the law that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So here's the point. What, what, is, this, what is this message all about? How can we be righteous in God's sight? How can we, we be right with God? Do we need to climb to the heavens and bring Christ down? No, he already came down. By pure grace, he came down. Do we need to like burrow our way into the grave and no, God already raised Jesus from the dead. So what does this word say? This righteousness based on faith, what does it say? It's near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that the word of faith that we proclaim, all you have to do is believe. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all of grace. It's a gift. Receive the gift and you're saved. <laughs> this is not a magical or mechanical or formulaic, you know, kind of incantation or just, you know, say these right words mechanically. It is relational. It is transformative as well. You're, you're saying that Jesus is Lord, which means you're obviously bowing the knee to him. So it's not a formula, but there is a before and an after. It's a decisive change. But we can't say that it's, you know, if you get all this stuff in order, then maybe. No, it's receive the gift. Jesus is Lord. I am a guilty sinner. I need forgiveness and cleansing and saving. Please save me. You're the Lord. I'm the needy sinner. <laughs> I believe that God raised you from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And this is at the end. So think about it. Just zoom way out. So we can be ashamed of God in this age, and we really want the world to think highly of us. But then what's going to happen at the end? Depart from me, I never knew you. That is the ultimate shame. Or we stand with Jesus, and sometimes it means we are maligned. Sometimes we are persecuted. Sometimes we're marginalized. We may have shame heaped on us, but at the end, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the ultimate honor. So, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame at the end. Everyone. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all, riches of his grace and his mercy on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So all the Jew-Gentile issues that are worked out later on in Romans, here's the 
theology. Here's the gospel theology that creates that community later on, that healthy, unified community later on in Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then verse 14, but how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? You won't call upon the Lord unless you believe. Well, where does belief come from? Down in verse 17, kind of a bottom line on it all, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But as the progression goes, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So you won't believe if you don't hear of Christ, if you don't hear the gospel. And how are they to hear unless somebody preaches to them? So you won't hear if no one preaches the gospel to you. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then verse 17, again, kind of a bottom line on it all. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we walk down through this progression and let's walk backwards again just to see the line of of thought. If faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Preachers need to be sent, okay? Disciples who are willing to speak the gospel need to be sent so that when they speak, (laughs) people will hear because how will they hear without someone preaching? And if people are gonna believe, they need to hear. So they hear, they believe, and they call on on the Lord to be saved. So I think we see a few things in this passage. We see the certainty that we ought to see. Like this is a free gift. You can have it and you can know you have it. (laughs) Like everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a certainty there that we need to see. There's also this interesting inclusivity, exclusivity thing going on. What do I mean by that? Well, everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. So it's inclusive, like whosoever will may come, right? But it's also exclusive because there's only one way. You've got to trust in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Also, do you see, I mean, this is obvious, but we've got to open our mouths, folks. You see the necessity of opening our mouths and speaking the gospel. So, You know, that well-worn saying, preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. Okay, maybe we know what that person was saying. But you must. (laughs) Like, you must use words if you're really going to preach the gospel. You can embody and live out the love of Christ in the way that you live. But I I love this. So I think it was on Tuesday, um, knowing that we were going to be doing mission, Brett sent me a picture. He Brett Wharton, he read this in his like men's devotional Bible or something. And so I'm going to quote from the ESV men's devotional Bible here. Preach the gospel and if you must use words, well, so here's what it says in this, this uh, devotional thing on Romans 10, 5 to 21. Did you hear about the young businessman who was delivering such an amazing PowerPoint presentation that the CEO stopped him to inquire, what must I do to be saved? No. Perhaps then you've heard about the suburban dad who manicured his lawn so excellently that the neighbors flocked to his home saying, we come here today to declare that we have become worshipers of your God. 
Okay, it's silly, but that's kind of the point. The absurdity of these two imaginary scenarios reminds us of the necessity of a Christian's verbal witness. People are not going to become Christians simply by watching us. In fact, they might just give you the glory. They might just think you're like a really nice person. Oh, well, thank you. I am. And then you get the glory. People are not going to become Christians simply by watching us. They need to hear a word of proclamation about A, God as holy creator and judge, B, human sinfulness in the coming judgment, C, Jesus' perfect life and atoning death, D, the need to respond in repentance and faith. So Romans 10, 14 to 15, Paul asked these searching questions and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Indeed, the answer to Paul's questions is obvious. People will not hear and believe the gospel unless someone announces it to them. God has ordained the verbal proclamation of his servants as the instrument for the spread of the gospel. Someone will object. Didn't Jesus say people will know we are his followers by the way we love one another? Indeed, he did. John 13, 35. But Jesus also taught the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. Mark 13, Matthew 24. I just don't feel comfortable talking about spiritual stuff. Someone will object. This is still the devotional thing. Can't I just invite my friends to church? Inviting people to church is good, but if you are not personally sharing with lost persons about God's love in Jesus Christ, then you are missing out on one of life's greatest joys. And more fundamentally, you should ask yourself, am I being obedient to the Lord's instructions to make his glorious gospel known? Go, disciples, make disciples. You disciples, go, therefore, and make disciples. And me too. So, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, hearing the gospel. Therefore, it is necessary to share the gospel with people if they're going to hear and be saved, call upon the Lord and be saved. So there's an urgency, right? There's a necessity and there's an urgency. So there should be an intentionality to our sharing. You could even say a strategy, like we need some strategy. How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna be faithful to do this? Both with our neighbors and among the nations. So last point, point number three. Let's consider those matters briefly. The light that shines farthest shines brightest nearest home. Point number three. Have you ever heard of C.T. Studd? Isn't that a great name? I love that guy's name. C.T. Studd. And he was kind of a stud. So he was a well-known British cricketer. Cricketer, you know, like... Um, who became a missionary, late 1800s, early 1900s. Interestingly, his father was converted through the evangelism of D.L. Moody when he went to England, like Billy Graham of an earlier generation. He followed Hudson Taylor, became a part of the establishment of the China Inland Mission, um, like the gospel making it inland in China. And he went to India for a time after that, and then finally to Africa to reach the unreached, people who had never heard of Jesus. He has some memorable quotes out there. I love this one. (laughs) Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We need more CT studs around. Or perhaps maybe you've heard his poem. There's two lines that kind of become a refrain. So it's a longer poem. I mean, it's not very long, but it's longer than this. But the two-line refrain is pretty well known. Only one life will soon be passed. 
only what's done for Christ will last. And then he's also the one who said, the light that shines farthest shines brightest nearest home. So if mission is at the core of who we are as Jesus' disciples, that's got implications for us. It's got local implications. And it's got global implications. And actually they're related. If you don't share here, you're not gonna share out there. Like sometimes people wanna go be missionaries somewhere as if going there is gonna all of a sudden make them really faithful evangelists. Well, are you sharing the gospel with anybody here? Well, you know, people in the West here just aren't. There's nothing magical about geography change. Certainly in certain places, people can be more open to those conversations, but faithfulness is not based on openness. Also, implication is if we're sharing there, like if we're focused on global missions, we'd be hypocrites not to be bold here, engaged here. If we're shining here, then it makes sense that supporting and shining elsewhere is a natural result, kind of like concentric circles, like Acts 1. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, Let's bring this to a close here with local and global. How do we shine bright near home first and then shine far as well? So local, just very practically here. If mission is our core value, if it's yours, if, it's, if we're owning this, like, do you know how to share your faith? Are you equipped? Are you comfortable? Like, of course you're not gonna know the answer to every question. That's okay. If somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to, hey, that's a great question. Let me get back to you. <laughs> like, don't let what you don't know keep you from having a conversation. But get some training. Like, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always have an answer. Like, set apart Christ as Lord and have an answer for the reason, for the hope that's within you. Well, if you're gonna have that answer, if you're gonna be ready, you need to get ready. So, you can get some training. Like, have you, can you share your testimony in a few minutes? Have you ever done that? Maybe write it out. Three, five minutes, and then you would be comfortable knowing how to share the gospel in kind of a relational, normal way, how Jesus impacted your life, but also just clearly laying out the gospel in that testimony. How do you get ready? Read some good books. There's so many good books out there. Um, one recent one that I've read that was really helpful is called Confronting Christianity. Um, 10 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion or something like that by Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, we've had some classes here recently. You can tap uh, Dean Dwight Singer. Um, he's got some good book recommendations. Dave Corbett and Rob, some others, were leading uh, an evangelism class last semester, and I'm sure they've got some good book recommendations as well. Rob Alakel that was up here um, reading our scripture reading. And then how about some like really practical things as far as getting you know, the rubber to the road here? What if you said, you know what? I, I need to be intentional here. I'm gonna try to have a neighbor or coworker or you know, somebody from the little league team or something like once a month to our house. Or ask some coworkers if they'd like to do a Bible study or read a book. So the main thing about outreach really should be very organic, relational, okay? 
Not so much come and see, like we're going to do one big event or three big events each year, and, and then between the events, there's nothing going on. Us embracing mission as a core value is each of us every day as we go seeking to make disciples in whatever spheres of influence God has placed us. Okay? So that's the main thing. But that doesn't mean that we can't put our heads together and do some stuff as a group, whether it's your community group and a block party and getting to know the neighbors in somebody's neighborhood or going to serve somewhere or someone or whatever. Or, you know, we do the fall festival or um, there's lots of other options. We've done Christianity Explored in the past and it's something that you can invite friends or neighbors to. But again, if there's this kind of urges, this kind of necessity, and then therefore urgency, then we should be intentional and strategic. So let's do that. I actually plan to get a group of people together um, to just brainstorm. So if you want to be in that group, just come talk to me, and I'll include you in the email. Okay? So that's local, global. Turn to Romans 15. Just briefly here, I want you to see this as far as Paul's ambition and his heart. Because there's a call if we are living missionally, if mission is at the core of who we are as disciples of Jesus, it has local implications, yes. We want to shine bright near home. You know, proximity equates to accountability. Like, we are accountable for those that God placed in our life right around us. Um, But also we should care about the nations. There are people that have never heard. They don't have the Bible yet in their own language. So look at Paul's heart here in Romans 15, 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, the nations, to obedience by word and deed. See, obedience of faith, like he talked about in chapter one, verse five by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What? And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Is he saying that he's literally shared the gospel with every human being in that circle from Jerusalem to Illyricum? I don't think that's the case but he has spread the gospel enough and left a church presence, multiple little local churches in that area where they can take care of the rest. Now I want to go to places that they haven't even heard of Christ yet. So there's this press to the frontiers. So we actually have a a priority, even in our missions philosophy. We want to reach the unreached So our heartbeat, our allocation of resources, like who's next? Let's be praying even as a church, and I'm sure this is on the radar screen for the missions team. How can we reach the unreached? We are doing that through some of our global partners, directly, indirectly. But again, there's necessity. We have to share it if they're going to hear. So... There's urgency, so we need to be intentional, so we need to be strategic. So, let's bring this to a close here. If the gospel's central, like if, if knowing God is really 
something we value. It's at the heart of who we are. We need to kind of get down to brass tacks, don't we, with like a Bible reading plan and like planning to pray and not just being willy-nilly about it, right? And if community is really important, you know, we could talk about that all day, but if we don't like love on real people and like jump into a community group and invite people to coffee and, you know, have conversation, like it's not going to happen, right? So it's got to get practical. What about mission? I'm not going to say one size fits all, this is how you do it, but do you see how we should actually plan to be faithful in this area. We need to stop and think and say, maybe I don't need to add a ton of stuff to my schedule, but maybe I need to do more of my schedule consciously as a disciple who's sent by Jesus to make disciples. And how can I leverage this thing that I already do to be a faithful witness? Does that make sense? So again, let's pray. And let's keep humbly working on this together. God gives grace to the humble and we can encourage one another in it as well. So it's fitting that we're gonna close with that song, A Christian's Daily Prayer, (laughs) because we need grace on a daily basis to be faithful, to live out the mission and to be empowered by grace to live it out. So if the musicians wanna come up, we'll close with that song and then we'll have um, some time of community sharing Uh, like we've done, like we did last week as well. So God, I, I imagine most of us are convicted in one way or another. We are not the bright lights that we want to be, that we should be. But I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you and where we've been ashamed, where we've been indifferent, where we just haven't cared enough, would you convict us and help us to see how good this good news is? Help us to be eager to share it. And, and I pray that we would not be able, as your people, to just walk through life without any sense of obligation to other people that we rub shoulders with all the time. I pray that you actually would increase the burden on our hearts for the people that you've placed in our lives that don't know Jesus. And I pray that we would come to you for grace. We need help. We need to know what to say. We need to know how to start conversations. We need to know how to love them well and communicate Christ to them. So open up doors for that and give us courage to walk through them when you open those doors. I think of Adam's prayer. Open up doors, and when you do, give me the courage to walk through. Lord, make us a people that just keep praying that, asking and seeking and knocking so that you will answer and we will grow more and more faithful and brighter as gospel light in Wilmington and Newcastle County and beyond and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.